Today we're starting a new sermon series, and uh, it's really, it's something I've been wanting to talk uh, about and talk through with you guys from, uh, for a, a while, something I've been planning for a while, and um, you know, I, I wanted to kind of dive into some of the like bigger issues in Genesis uh, and some of the early passages in Genesis, because I believe Genesis is one of those things that uh, gets sort of misunderstood and misused. It's like I was trying to help help like process this idea, and I was thinking about my friend Dan Booth, who's amazing. Dan Booth, who's on the soundboard right now. Uh, if you don't know, well, he's not that great. I mean, let's let's calm down. Uh, if you've ever been to Dan's house, Dan has a garage that will make anybody jealous. Like he can fix anything, and he knows. Exactly. Like if I walk into Dan Booth's garage and I just pick up a random tool, chances are I'm not going to know how to use that tool correctly. I'm like, yeah, this is a fender banger thingy majigger and uh, we're going to use this to, and Dan's like, no, put that down. You're going to hurt yourself, right? Uh, and I, I do find myself doing this. Like me and Miles were taking apart um, our lawnmower the other day trying to get the wheel off so we could go and put some air in it and try to fix the, the, the tire come off of it over the... Uh, winter. And so as we're doing that, there was a moment there where we needed a hammer. We needed to kind of hammer out this cylinder that was kind of stuck in there. And I had a wrench in my hand. And to me, the wrench in that moment becomes a hammer, right? Like, (laughs) I'm not going to stop what I'm doing and go get the correct tool to do this thing. I'm just going to whack on this until it comes off. And Miles is like, yeah, do it. Woo. You know, like he didn't care. Um, and I think Genesis is a little bit like this. I think there's a lot of people out there, their understanding of the Bible is tied to the literal word-for-word interpretation of Genesis, let's call it 1 through 11, the early part of Genesis. That For, for them, Genesis has become a, a, a textbook, a science book, a history book that they want to use to count backwards to answer the wrong question. Okay? I'm not going to spend almost any time telling you how old the earth is based on Genesis 1 through 11. It wasn't designed to answer that question, by the way. What we, what we have is, it's like trying to take something Shakespeare wrote and trying to decipher sociology or history from it. Like It's not designed to answer those questions. And when we tie our, our hermeneutic, our, 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 our belief in Scripture to the the truth of the word-for-word kind of understanding of Genesis 1 through 11, the beginning of Genesis, we're actually doing ourselves a disservice. Because what we're saying is, if any part of this doesn't add up perfectly and make exact sense word-for-word, then all of the Bible is something I can't believe. Right? And so I want to really talk about what Genesis is supposed to be used for. And remember, we talk about scripture all the time. We talk about putting things in context. We talk about the fact that it wasn't written to you, but it was written for you. Okay? And so when we think about when Genesis was written and who it was written to and what the purpose of it, you have to go back and say, where did we get this book? Like Adam wasn't writing down exactly what was happening as it was happening to him. The best we understand of how we under- got the first five books of the Bible, the, what we call the Pentateuch, is that Moses wrote them down thousands of years after some of these things happened. That these were stories that were shared among the Jewish people, among Israelites, before they were even Israel, before they were even Jewish, 
they were sharing these stories around campfires together to answer huge questions of meaning in their lives. They were sharing the stories of who God is and what is your relationship with him and who you are and how you relate to God and who created everything and how we got here. Those are the questions that Genesis is trying to answer. Those are the questions that God has given us this book for to understand, not, not as a history book, not as a we're going to have to figure out exactly how old the earth is. Like, you might be like one of those, uh, the earth is 7,000 years old people, and you also might be one of those, the earth is 30 billion years old people. And honestly, I don't, that's not the question. I don't even care. I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, you know, some of you guys are old enough to remember when you started doing science class in like middle school, the earth was a certain age. The earth got like five times older by the time I graduated high school, from the time I was in seventh grade. We're not done figuring out, right, the earth. We're not done figuring out God's creation. In fact, the more we dig into God's creation, the more we dig into the, the minutest, smallest, like just littlest pieces of creation, the more we see that there's a creator, right? We're colliding, you know, little tiny particles somewhere in Europe that going to swallow the whole earth up one of these days, right? Or, or the opposite end of the spectrum. The more we look to the most infinite, crazy, huge things, like when we look into space, right? We, the more it pushes us towards understanding there's a creator. I don't actually want to argue over, or I don't even really care about the details of how old this is. What I care about is the fact that it was created by a God who has a certain way about him. And Genesis helps us understand who he is and who we are in relationship to him. And that's really what we're going to focus on. So this week we're talking about creation. We're also going to talk about work because we were designed to do something. That'll be uh, in a week, two weeks. We're going to talk about marriage because God gave us the institution of marriage and he began it early on in, in Genesis. We're going to talk about sin, the fact that Something came into the world that kind of destroyed God's creation and his intentions. Uh, we're going to talk through some of those early uh, uh, situations between Cain and Abel. And so we have basically kind of laid out going through the first 10 or 11 chapters of Genesis and working our way through these big questions. And I just kind of want you to understand that when we understand, and let me just, let me just go back to this. By the way, if you're somebody who's like, the, the, first two, the first two chapters of Genesis, absolutely, I have to read them word for word. It was a seven-day creation. The earth is this many years old. And if I don't believe this, then I don't believe the rest of, of Scripture. Well, I just have news for you. That's not what makes Scripture true. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is what brings veracity to the Bible. It's what, it's what helps us understand that this is true, and this is powerful, and this is meaningful. You want to focus on something? Focus on the resurrection of Jesus Christ something you can historically point to and say, this is what happened, this is what changed the world, this is the most important thing, okay? It's not Genesis. Genesis answers those huge questions of existence. And so that's what we're going to focus on today. So we're going to kind of get into creation and understand what God was doing when he created everything and what was the purpose of his creation and kind of where we fit into this, and I don't want to use the wrong tool here. I don't want to treat Genesis like it's what it's not supposed to be do. I want to treat it like and answer the questions that it is supposed to answer. So I'm going to start here in Genesis chapter 1. 
page one, if you're like wondering where to follow along. So, Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God. Okay, first of all, first four words of this set everything right. If your existence doesn't start with in the beginning, God, you have something out of whack, right? There's something off. If it's in the beginning, Mark, which is what I recommend to all of you, just <laughs> don't put your unending faith in yourself or other people. It's not in the beginning, your boss. It's not in the beginning, your career. It's not in the beginning, your whatever. It's in the beginning, God. God is in control. God is eternal. God was the one who was there in the beginning. He's the one that began all things. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Yes, this is a a history book. This is a poetry. Are are we paying attention here? This is poetry. There's no other place in your life where you're going to take poetry and try to, you know, nail down a scientific thesis. Right? This is trying to help us understand that there was this incredible presence called God who always existed and brought everything that we see as part of his creation into being, that it didn't exist, and then he brought it into, into being, that there's a beginning to this. And by the way, when, when science kind of learns something new about the world or history or whatever, it just changes the idea of how we see how God created everything. The more we learn and categorize and understand and organize, right, the more we learn about the character of God and who he is and how he created things and what he was doing. And it makes us, if anything, see that there's even more of a creator. We don't have to live in a world where science and Christianity or science and scripture have to go against each other. Whenever we learn something new, science, right, whenever we organize how we understand the information of creation, science, it just helps us understand God in a new way. In fact, it's not just science, it's archaeology, I guess a kind of science, right? Another part of science. Archaeology and hard sort of biology, right, are pointing us to the direction that the Bible is actually really true. We are finding things all the time, uncovering new cities and places and, and sites that actually go back to and give kind of proof to the idea that the way the Bible is written here, what we have in our hands is actually pretty good, pretty true. Right? A lot of the Old Testament, we're finding the sites, we're finding the places where people lived and where they were and what was going on. We're kind of putting all the pieces together. We could continue to do that forever. Science is not going to stop having new discoveries about all the things that are created. Why? Because God is incredible and creates incredible things that we will never fully wrap our heads around. And this beginning of Genesis, it's got a cadence to it, right? So here we go. And God said, let there be light. By the way, God begins by speaking into existence anything he wants. And I just, like, if you ask me, like, superpowers, like, what superpower do you want? Maybe you've answered that question before. That could have been our question of the day. What superpower do you want? I want to just speak things into existence. Let there be biscuits and gravy. (laughs) Right? Let there be a Corvette. Right? Like, like, how awesome is it that he can just speak things into existence? And that's what God does. He begins speaking things into existence, speaking incredible things. Let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. And he called light day and darkness night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day, and there's this 
cadence to it. And then God created land, and then he created sky, and then he created birds and fish. And I know this isn't in order, and this isn't correct, and you're going to like make fun of me. But he creates all these things. And each day he steps back and says, it is what? It's good. So he creates something and steps back and says, it's good. And first it's this, and then it's that, and then it's this, and then it's that, and then it's this, and then it's that. And he goes through five days of creation. Okay? And he works his way through all of the things that we see created. You're like, uh, you know, on what day did he create the duck-billed platypus? Because i like, that was a creative day. <laughs> right? And we're going to get to the Adam and Eve naming everything. I thought that would have been just a moment to behold. It's like, what's this giant thing? This is elephant. Good job, Adam. Yes, we'll call it elephant. Like, I don't know how that looked. Right? I mean, he's like brand new trying to figure stuff out. Like, what, is this, what do these words even mean? And so he's going through creation, and it's got this cadence. He creates this thing, and he steps back, and it was the end of the day, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. And he gets to day six, and here's what it says about what he creates on day six. And this is really what we're focusing on today, is really who we are and why God created us. What's our identity, right? And this is what he says, uh, verse 26 of chapter 1. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all creation, over all creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. And so God goes, day one, through five, he speaks into existence everything. And then day six, he gets to the pinnacle of his creation. And now there's something special about the way that he creates us. Now, what I think is interesting here is that the controversial part of this passage 10 years ago would have been what constitutes a day, how do we understand this in the age of the earth? It would be all these science questions about how old the earth is. In fact, I can remember being in middle school and arguing with my teacher over how old the earth is because in my youth group, they forced us to watch these videos from the guy who created the ark. You know the ark that's in like Cincinnati or whatever? It's out somewhere in the Midwest. I don't know where it is, somewhere. That guy, they made me watch videos indoctrinating me when I was like in seventh grade to believe that the earth was a certain age and to fight in your science class for that reality. And so I found myself arguing with my science teacher every single day from a biblical perspective on how old the earth was. And to be honest with you, my teacher was terrible at arguments. And I was running circles around. And half of my class was like, man, maybe he's got a point here. Like, how old is the earth, right? Like, we, that would have been the controversial part of it 10 years ago, the way that we were understanding and kind of arguing over, over Genesis back, back in those days. Now I think as we kind of are processing all this, the controversial part of this, it's not, it's not the science part of it. It's the fact that God made man and woman, that there's a binary in creation of male and female, that gender is part of God's creation, and that God created a binary situation. Now, I don't, I'm not looking to pick a fight. I really am not. 
And honestly, if we wanted to have a political conversation, I think this would be an interesting, completely different conversation. But from a biblical perspective, God creates male and God creates female. And within God is all of male and all of female. When we try to define male and female as a spectrum, and we try to say that we fit here, there, or here, and we try to understand ourselves within this spectrum, understand that God has all of the attributes of male and all of the attributes of female within him, and he created both male and female for a purpose. This was, this was part of his creation, but he didn't do it by accident. This wasn't an accident. I feel like what we're fighting about today is this idea that we can sort of self-identify, and we, we use that language, by the way. I, I identify as. We, we're like building ourselves an identity, and our identity is built on things that God created in a certain way, and we're kind of taking those things, and we're trying to find them on this spectrum that is even outside of how he created us to be. And I don't know what it looks like to struggle with your gender or your sexuality or, or whatever, fill in the blank, which one of these things you, know, you might decide to define yourself at, with, and it might make up a huge part of or all of your identity, right? I don't know what it looks like to struggle with these things, because I haven't personally done that. So I have nothing but mercy for people who do find themselves feeling like they're in the wrong body or feeling like they're not fitting into the world around them. But I know that God created men and he created women on purpose. You know, we're a church that actually feels pretty strongly about supporting women in ministry and honoring women in church, which I don't think the church has done a great job of over the last however many decades, you know, and yet, here we are in Genesis saying God created men and women, and yet we still honor and support women in all these ways. We don't have to choose one of those two things. That Those things line up. That with God's creation, we can honor God's creation in both, both directions. But it's, it's a binary, okay? This is how God created it. And as people begin to create their identity on a spectrum of these things, it gets to be really wonky. It gets to be really tough. And it doesn't add up to the way that I think people often think that it should. Right? Look, at what, look at what God says about uh, creation in Genesis chapter 2. So chapter 1 is kind of a higher level look at it. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Here's what it says about God creating man and woman in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So I want you to take a look at creation. God speaks into existence five days of creation. All the animals, all the birds, all the land and sky and space and stars and all that stuff. He creates all those things by speaking those into being. But when God decides to create man and create woman, when he decides to create people who are going to carry his image into the world, he gets down into the dirt and he puts his hands in the dirt. He uses his own hands to scoop up the dirt, and he breathes his own breath into that being to bring it to life. There's something completely different about us as created beings compared to the rest of creation. Another thing we get completely out of whack in this world is that we begin to start to think that the rest of creation is more important than the pinnacle of creation. That the land and the sea and the stars and the sky and the animals and all these things these were created in one section and the man and woman are created serve as the pinnacle of all creation 
and they're created differently by God's own hand as he scoops up dirt and breathes his life into it. In fact, in a minute, we're going to see, this will be next week when we start to talk about work, that we're actually called to care for the rest of God's creation, that he does care for it, but that we're called to be the ones that are in charge of it and take care of it and honor his creation in that way. And so God reaches his hands into the dirt and he creates us in his likeness, with his image. And that's a really hard concept to understand. It means a couple things. It means that all of us are valuable because we carry the image of God, right? That we believe that there's value to all life from womb to tomb, that we care about every breath of a person's life and we bring value to every person that carries God's image, which is all of us, okay? It also kind of puts us in a place to understand that God has created us for a purpose, and he's given us this image so we can do something with it. And I, I like the illustration that um, uh, the, this one theologian uses. He talks about when he was sick and his, as a kid, and his mom would make him sort of stay in bed, that in order for her to kind of keep an eye on him, she, she would set a mirror in his doorway, right? And that in the mirror, she could be in the other room and it would kind of, she'd point the mirror so it looked down the hallway, right? So he could be in bed and kind of see the mirror and it would point down to another room and he could see his, his family or his mom as he was in bed, not feeling good, so he could feel more connected to, right, the rest of the family who was in the other room. Or I think probably the mom, being a smart, was wanting to keep an eye on him and she needed that mirror there to make sure that everything was okay, Right? And what I want you to understand is what is sort of underneath the surface here is that we're made with God's image and our job is to be an image bearer for God in this world. That in fact, what we're supposed to be is the mirror in the doorway that reflects God to the world around us. That when people see us, they just see right past us into the other room where God is. They see that there's a whole other family just around the corner that we're reflecting and kind of inviting people into. Like That's what we're called to do as image bearers, is to be people that reflect God's goodness and his creation in the rest of the world. And we have, man, we have so messed that up. We're so busy trying to define ourselves individually and create our identities from a, a, a buffet that what we're doing is we're holding the mirror just up to ourselves and all it shows is us. And in reality, we're supposed to point in God's direction and invite people into understanding who God is. That when they see us, they should see God's goodness and His creation and who He is and how He wants to have a relationship with the rest of the world. That they should see in us God around the corner, down the hall, not in the place where the person is, but welcoming them into that relationship. And we've messed that up. And it's not just us. It's, it's everyone all time. It's all of us that have kind of struggled with understanding that this is what we're called to do. We're called to be image bearers of God. To show the world what it looks like to know God. And you know, Paul talks about this in Romans uh, chapter 1. And so I want to just show you a little bit about what Paul says about this. He says, Romans chapter 1. 
I hope you have it back there. Maybe not. Here we go. Verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And so Paul is saying, hey, God's wrath is going to be poured out on people who suppress the truth of God. Now, I like one pastor I, I've listened to who, you know, uh, always said it like this. He said, suppressing the truth of God is like trying to hold a ball underwater in a pool, right? I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you wanted to stand on something that could float, like a beach ball or something, and so you push it under the water, and it takes your strength to kind of hold it down, and then you kind of like balance on it, and you're kind of doing this thing, and it's only a matter of time, right, until what happens? Yeah, it pops up right out from under you, okay? Almost like I was thinking too about this this idea like a -a whack-a-mole, right? We're trying to suppress the truth. We're trying to whack it down every single time it pops up, but it just keeps popping up. Like, suppressing the truth takes a lot of effort. It it tires you out, man. If you're trying to create your own identity from the buffet of things that the culture around you offers, you're trying to suppress the truth that is plain to see in Scripture. It's plain to see in God's creation. It's plainly offered to you by other believers who know God, who are image bearers, who are reflecting God in this world. And suppressing the truth is just tiring. Just wears you out. I mean, look around. People who are creating the, their identity from the buffet of culture, right? These, these people are absolutely worn out. We see the stress that comes along with this. Man, I'm telling you, if you want like hardcore anxiety and depression and stress, then creating your own identity from the buffet of culture is a perfect way to bring those things into your life. It is like constantly trying to force down what is so easily understood and so easily seen in the world around us. Right? And so Paul's talking about this in Romans chapter 1. He says, there are people, God's wrath is going to be poured out on people who are trying to suppress the truth. He goes on in verse 19, since, that, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. He says, God's truth is plain to them in that they're trying to suppress it and hold it down and push it down and try to keep it. And what happens when we do that is like, if truth is essentially just out there for everyone to create, for out, out there for everyone to just kind of create their own, their own reality, then what is truth at all? Like, it doesn't, like, maybe it's good if you're good, but most of us aren't. Right? What's true to you might not be true to the next person, might not be true to the next person. You can see how this gets way out of control. And so this is what he says in verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made. So people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for images made to look like an immortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. He says, if we all are creating our own truth, if we're all sort of creating our own reality, if we're all choosing our own identity, if we're all sort of image bearing for whatever we decide to image bear for, 
it turns quickly to chaos. And I don't know how you feel about the world around you, but it often feels like it's very chaotic. It often feels like there's nothing structurally holding everything down. And I, I think sort of the younger you get, the more it is accepted within your generation to create an individual identity built upon the buffet that culture offers so that you can stick out or that you can receive sort of attention from the people around you. And I don't mean to make light of struggles that people have. That's not my goal in bringing this up. My goal in bringing this up is that as Christians, we believe that ultimately our identity is in the fact that we have been created by a creator who loves us, who gives us worth and value, right? A creator who spent time with his hands in the dirt, breathing life into us and bringing us into existence for a purpose, to be image bearers of him and to reflect him into the world around us. And that is the absolute best way for us to live. That identity creation is not what we are called to do. We are called to accept the identity that God has given us as his creation. Now, it might feel like, I thought about this a lot this week, and I, I, it might feel like I'm preaching on this because this is Pride Month. Like, you might be saying to yourself, like, why are you bringing this up now? And I promise you, I had nothing to do with planning this. <laughs> Just happened to be that this is Pride Month. I'm not picking a fight. What I'm saying that is that, and as a believer, I believe that if we don't ultimately find our value, our purpose, our identity, in the God of this world who spent time and cares about... Right, in the Psalms, it says that God intimately knows us, that he knit us together in our mother's wombs, that he knows how many hairs are on each one of our heads, and mine's not a lot anymore, that he knows everything about us, our motivations, our passions, that he created us with all those things on purpose. And I don't know how you feel about the way things are going in the culture around us, but I feel like it has jumped the shark. I feel like it is getting further and further away every single day, right, from the way that God created all of this to be. And I see a generation of people struggling with who they are, and what brings them value, and how they were uniquely created for a purpose, and I'm like, we have the answer. Here it is. This God cares about you so much that he spent time creating you. No, I was thinking about this too. It's like, you know, sometimes uh, you end up being sort of the, the kid in your family who's like the anomaly, like the, the accident, right? Like you got like uncles and aunts who are like cousins, because, like, you were 20 years after, you know, your brother or sister, and everybody knows you were the accident. You feel like the accident. Nobody, nobody knows that person. Somebody's raising their hand right now. Like, there are no accidental people. 
you are not an accident. God literally put his hand into the ground and used his own breath to bring you to life. He knit you together in your mother's womb. There's intimacy there, and he cares about you deeply the way anybody would care about something beautiful that they had, had created. Um, I was watching this, this video this week. Uh, it's something I don't fully understand, so, you know, whatever. Just You can laugh at the, the pastor who's trying to use it as an illustration, but Photoshop has just released this, like, AI, uh, like, beta thing where you can basically create you basically take a small image and then you just create like a border around it and you just tell Photoshop, like, hey, fill this in. Like, hey, just go ahead and add whatever you want to this. And Photoshop creates stuff in the picture that like looks more amazing than like anybody could create. Like it's incredible. And sometimes it's really funny because it screws stuff up because it's, it's a machine, right? It's an algorithm kind of creating something. But like I was watching this person whose livelihood is doing Photoshop, right? They're, they're a photographer and a person who creates, um, you know, basically creates print and media and stuff like that with Photoshop. And as they were creating it, they clicked on it, and Photoshop created this thing that was just unbelievable. And the guy was like, I don't know what to say about this. Like, I don't know if I have a job anymore. Like, I think maybe I'm out of work. Like, it won't be long before this computer, this algorithm, starts to create things in a way that creates it better than I could create it. That, like, up to this point, like, I would create something, somebody would basically give me an idea, and I would take their idea, and I would create it, and I would make it look exactly the way that they wanted, and then they would pay me for that thing, and I would say, this image was created by me. Right? But he said, now, you just push a button, and a computer create stuff better than I can create it. I'm not even sure I know how to do this better than this, this algorithm. They're like, I'm kind of lost now. And I think what we kind of misunderstand here is that like what often would bring things value in sort of the world before AI was the fact that someone, a person, was connected to that creation and it brought value to that thing, right? We know about famous artists and what their best paintings were, right? Often we will associate a famous artist with a certain painting. Like we'll think of some artist and we'll think of their best work. I don't often think of like what the artist looked like. I was actually trying to think of like, could I actually think of what any artist looked like? And I could only think of what Van Gogh looked like because he painted himself. But often I don't think about their what they look like. I think about what they created look like, looks like. I, I just need to step back and, and tell you that you're valuable. You're incredible. There's something individually unbelievable about you because God himself put his name on you. He, his hands in the dirt to create you. His breath in your lungs his spirit in you, knitting you together in your mother's womb. He never intended for you to create your own identity. He intended for you to receive an identity from him. Right? He intended for you to understand that you are loved and valued and valuable and have passions and gifts and were made for a purpose. 
And he left us Genesis so that we would be able to understand the whole story. That like, it's not accidental. And we look at every single image bearer around us and we see value in them. We look at a baby that's not even born yet and we see that there's intrinsic value because God created that, that baby that's still in the womb, right? We look at someone with Down syndrome and we, we, we think this is not a person that doesn't exist here in society. This person has value because God created them, right? We look at a person who's aging and we don't say like, hey, let them, let them go. We value every breath that they have because that's another opportunity to be an image bearer for God all the way to the very last breath. Like life for us is important because God has created it and put his name on it, brought value to it. And before we start and get into the rest of those things, we have to stop and say our culture is way out of whack. There are people struggling all around us to create their identity out of things that were never meant to define them and be their identity. Your identity should not be based solely on your sexuality or on your gender or on your work or on your you, on you, just you. That you were designed to reflect God into this world and that's how he created you, to reflect him into this world. And we have an opportunity to do that all around to show people hey god's just around the corner he's just in the next room and you are welcome into this thing let me pray to close our time today